The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I want to begin with a story. This comes from the Native American tradition. And it's about a grandfather speaking to his grandson. So a grandfather was speaking to his grandson about violence and cruelty in the world and how it comes about. He said it was as if two wolves were fighting in his heart. One wolf was very vengeful and angry, and the other wolf was understanding and kind. Young man, his grandson, thought about this for a moment. Then he asked his grandfather, Which wolf would win the fight in his heart? And the grandfather answered, The one that wins will be the one I choose to feed. And so this turns this this brings up a really interesting question that we can ask ourselves. That story to me was really profound too um, when I read it. I think I, I got that actually from a Pema children book, um, and she was talking about um, really paying attention to what it is that we are feeding moment to moment. What is it that we're nourishing in our hearts and in our minds? And it's, I think, obvious that when we come here to practice in this way and bringing mindfulness to our moment to moment experience, we begin to see that we have a choice uh, when we apply mindfulness to what's going on in the moment, we begin to see that we can choose whether to continue that habit of mind or action or speech, that story, that perception. Or do we want to choose something different? Do we want to um, perhaps open the heart? Do we want to uh, see how things truly are? And so... I think we begin to choose the wolf that nourishes our awakening. It becomes the obvious choice over time. In this practice, not only do we have mindfulness to help us in this nourishment of the heart, but we also have a set of practices called the Brahma Viharas. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today, is the... um, the Brahma-viharas, which are, uh, is defined as the divine abodes of the heart. Um, these practices that allow us to purposely cultivate different heart qualities and the ability to open towards uh, whatever is happening in the moment with a very steady, uh, open heart. So, these four practices, the first one is metta. Metta is a, a kindness, a cultivation of kindness, loving kindness. Friendliness is another way to put it. Uh, and then there's karuna, which is compassion. Compassion being uh, the opening towards suffering, the suffering in the world, the suffering of others, and even sometimes to our own suffering in a very balanced way. The next one is mudita, and this is the one I want to spend extra time with today. 
Uh, Mudita is um, sympathetic joy or unselfish joy. Uh, the joy to take joy and, and to be happy for other people's happiness. And then the last one is upeka, or equanimity, which is a balancing factor in the heart to be uh, not swayed one way or the other depending on what's happening in our experience or in the experience of others. So often there's a lot of focus in our tradition on metta. We hear about metta quite a bit. Uh, We talk a lot about compassion. Uh, I think because this practice is so focused on uh, suffering, looking and, and really seeing suffering for what it is. And so compassion allows us to do that. It allows us to open towards that. So we talk a lot about compassion in this tradition. And then equanimity, which is this balanced uh, flavor in the heart. Um, so, you know, you can go to Spirit Rock and attend an entire day long on equanimity. We do talk about mudita, but we don't seem to talk about it quite as much. So I I thought I would give it some attention today, Um, not just to bring it into people's consciousness, although that's my my hope for today, but also just for my own exploration, um, to take some interest in this particular topic. So mudita is the sympathetic joy or unselfish joy, selfless joy, happiness in other people's happiness, which for some of us, that, be- that comes really natural. In fact, for most of us, I imagine that people that uh, we're happy to see thrive in life, um, we find it quite easy to feel happiness and joy when uh, things are going their way, when they're happy, when they're uh, successful. Where it starts to get difficult might be in the times where it's somebody that is more difficult in their life and things are going their way. Or if someone else is expressing success when maybe we're not feeling success in our own life. And so the judging mind, the comparing mind comes up and the heart begins to close. There can be this real sense of separation, what they get and what I get. And so this cultivation of mudita, this sympathetic joy, is uh, the cultivation of opening up towards uh, somebody else's happiness, even if it means that um, we ourselves are not necessarily in a place of happiness and success. So it can be a real challenge uh, at certain times. Each of the Brahma Viharas have a near and a far enemy. The far enemy of Mudita is jealousy, envy, um, also taking uh, joy in someone else's unhappiness. So sometimes we feel, oh, they, they really deserve that. <laughs> you know, oh, it's not going their way. Finally, <laughs> karma. <laughs> which of course is a misunderstanding, or, or maybe I won't say misunderstanding, but, but uh, think about which, what wolf we're feeding in that moment, even though it might seem just. 
We can justify moments like that very easily in our mind. But think about it. What wolf are we feeding in that moment? Sharon Salzberg has a story that I'll read to you that speaks to this. She says, I recently visited a friend in Malibu, a spectacularly beautiful beach town north of Los Angeles. As I walked along the sand, I was captivated by the warm breeze, the sound of the ocean, and the light glinting off the water. Glancing at the luxurious houses lining the shore, I imagined that this was as good as it gets. Then the rains come. Hour after hour, day after day, rain poured down. My friend's garage roof leaked. The stuff she was storing there all had to be moved. When the storm was over, battalions of ants marched through her kitchen. In the midst of, some of you might be experiencing that today with the rain. In the midst of the chaos, a national news correspondent called and asked if she could come out with a television crew and film the scene. Puzzled, my friend asked, why? Why would anyone really want to see that? And the woman replied, well, all around the country, people get excited if they hear that something's going wrong in Malibu. (laughs) (laughs) And so there's a degree of truth in that, isn't there? Um, We can get very caught up in the drama of others and in some ways, feel like there's something satisfying about that. Of course, what that's pointing to is our own feeling of lack, our own feeling of lack in our lives. Um, I like this phrase, not enoughness. (laughs) Not enough for ourselves. And so we get this sense that when other people are struggling, uh, sometimes that allows us to feel like, oh, I now have enough. So it's an interesting play with the ego. So sympathetic joy to actually open towards the uh, successes of others is an anecdote to this jealousy or envy. It's an anecdote to this feeling of lack. There's a degree of gratitude practice that I personally find to be very much connected to the mudita practice. Although classically it's not named, but it's the same type of feeling for me when I'm cultivating gratitude in my life and I can feel the abundance of life. Uh, That same feeling of abundance is what I feel when I'm experiencing mudita for somebody else's happiness and success. So that feeling of abundance. And mudita is special in that way where it's this sharing in abundance with another. So there's something very precious about that connection with another. It goes hand in hand with compassion. And you can see why with the story that Sharon tells. That instead of uh, feeling compassion for somebody else's Um, ant-ridden home or flooding basement or garage, uh, that there would be this joy in their unhappiness. And so the compassion practice, 
I find my, for myself, if I can't fully be compassionate for somebody else's difficulties, then when the flip experience happens, when they're suddenly succeeding, I find it also very difficult to feel sympathetic joy for their successes. And so I see the two of them really supporting each other. I find that uh, this actually becomes a really interesting practice when I notice that someone is really struggling and I I feel that justification of, oh, they deserve it. I know that that's where my practice needs attention. And so not only do I practice the compassion practice towards that person, but I spend equal amount of time with the mudita practice, um, sharing in their successes, wishing them uh, success and happiness in life, with this understanding that in other people's successes, we too can, can feel that bounty and, and thrive just by opening towards it and connecting to it. Uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is quoted as saying, why not make other people's happiness your happiness? It will increase your chances by six billion to one. (laughs) (laughs) And so you can imagine being around people who are doing well if we can really take a moment to share with them, uh, in, share in that mudita, that joy, that our own happiness in life will increase. Our chances for happiness will increase. This makes sense. But we don't give a lot of attention to it, I think, a lot of the time. And so part of the mudita practice is actually finding those moments where there's an opportunity to share in joy and really allowing the space to, to engage in that way. So one of the things that I do as a practice when I'm with somebody who is sharing with me their happiness and their successes, when that share is happening, to slow the conversation down so that it's not just, oh yeah, I got this promotion and I'm really happy and I'm very excited about it and tomorrow I'm blah, blah, blah. I like to stop and just say, wait a second, that is really great. This is really exciting. That's a big deal. And by slowing it down a little bit and taking a moment to just acknowledge and uh, share that moment, I watch as not only does my happiness grow, but the other person's happiness grows. And together, we're in this field of mudita. And it's really precious. And so that's just one way of cultivating the mudita in in your life, is really taking the time to give it your full attention. Another way is through the classical um, cultivation of mudita, which is with the mudita phrases. And I thought I would just take you through it in case some of you have never practiced uh, the mudita practice. And so it'll just be short, maybe five minutes. And so you can sit in a way that's really comfortable. 
the Brahma Viharas are meant to be practiced uh, in a way that's very relaxed, very comfortable. Let your eyes close. And bring to mind somebody whom you know it would be easy to share in that joy, uh, their successes and happiness. This might be a friend or a colleague, maybe a family member, someone whom this would be easy to open the heart towards. And then I'm going to say out loud a series of phrases and I'll pause in between each phrase so that you can repeat the phrase several times in your mind. Um, Saying it as a wish from your heart to this person. I'm happy for your happiness. May your happiness and good fortune not diminish. May it increase further and further. happy for your happiness. May your happiness and good fortune not diminish. May it increase further and further. So this practice of mudita in our tradition, uh, it's one that you could do over a period of a full sit. So you would do that for a 45-minute sit. You could do it for uh, a length of a retreat and really take time to purposely cultivate this quality of the heart. These practices are different from the mindfulness practice in this way, where the mindfulness practice, there's... um, We're really just observing 
and knowing what's happening in the moment. Uh, the Brahma Viharas, we are intentionally cultivating these character, characteristics of the heart. So it's slightly different. All of them have their own phrases, too. And in the repetition of the phrases, uh, one might feel at first a little robotic, and it might feel insincere. But the instructions is to continue practicing it anyway and to see how the heart begins to open towards it. We have all these layers that are really there for protection, I think, most of the time, for our heart. And when we begin to start bringing attention to the heart, those layers oftentimes are still in the way. And so there's this period of time for some people where there's a real need of uh, melting away these layers. And so there can be this feeling of disconnect, of insincerity, saying the phrases, but then over time there can be this great opening. This practice, uh, saying the phrases over and over again, you begin with uh, this person that's easy to wish joy towards, and then you move on to another category of people, people that are your loved ones, those who there might be more of a complicated relationship with, but there's still this uh, ability to open towards joy, moving then towards a neutral person, somebody that maybe you see them every day, but you really don't know them. Uh, So it might be the person at the checkout line who rings you up, or the barista at Starbucks, or your mailman. Um, So this would be your neutral person. And then it moves on to a difficult person. Um, So somebody who you have challenges with in your life. Someone who it might be really difficult, actually, to share in the joy of their happiness. Um, The idea is that over time you go from each category of people, and over time... Uh, the ability to open up towards each category is the same. And that leads into this ability to wish mudita for all beings everywhere. And so I'll read you a quote. This is from the Diga Nikaya. Here, O monks, a disciple lets his mind or her mind pervade one quarter of the world with thoughts of unselfish joy And so then the second, and so then the third, and so the fourth. And thus the whole wide world, above, below, around, everywhere and equally, he or she continues to pervade with a heart of unselfish joy, abundant, grown great, measureless, without without hostility or ill will. So you can imagine this ability to open your heart towards the whole world equally for each person and the tremendous abundance that would come from that. And so this is the possibility that is um, placed upon our ability to open the heart. So I want to back up a little bit 
and share with you not only the far enemies of Mudita, but also the near enemy of Mudita. And this one was actually kind of surprising to me when I heard it. The near enemy of Mudita is exuberance. So if you think about it, that's the way I understand it. This feeling of joy, there's actually a lot of energy that comes with the feeling of joy. It's different than the uh, feeling of friendliness, kindness, uh, compassion, and equanimity. Joy has a particular flavor of energy. And there's this tipping point where if we get if we start to lean into that joy and start to grasp onto the thing that we are associating with the joy. So maybe it's, uh, oh, so-and-so just won the lottery. That is so exciting. I wonder what he's going to buy first. I wonder if he's going to go sail off into the sunset. And you can start to, it starts to turn into this exuberance. And the mind starts to get worked up and distracted. The qualities of a mind that is uh, filled with mudita or metta or compassion or equanimity is actually a, a very still and um, equanimous mind. These practices of the Brahma-vihara Brahma when cultivated, actually bring uh, a concentrated mind. And so when we start to get wrapped up into the things that might be bringing us the joy, and we start to lean into that exuberance, we can start to feel actually a bit of contraction in the mind and in the body, maybe even a little bit of disconnect from the openness of feeling the joy and instead feeling stirred up. And so this is the near enemy of joy, this exuberance, which oftentimes can feel a lot like joy or sympathetic joy. Um, but there, there is a slight difference, which is why it's called this close enemy of joy or close enemy of mudita. So, this near and far enemy, there are, there's a real feeling in the body uh, with each. This feeling of contraction, a mind that isn't steady, a heart that feels closed. These are the signs that we can actually look for and, in a way, use to help us cultivate these practices. So when I am feeling a real contraction in my body and my mind, I know that there is something that needs to be cultivated. And so by bringing attention to our bodily response and our mental activity can really help us tune into when and where we could be cultivating these qualities of the heart, particularly mudita. 
So I thought, let's see how we're doing. I thought it might be nice for, uh, to give you some time to explore this in some small groups, uh, groups of three, and just share first, what is it that gets in the way of your mudita? What gets in the way of your unselfish uh, joy for another? And then the second question is, what does mudita feel like to you? What does it feel like in the mind and in the body? So if you wouldn't mind turning towards two other people nearby... Okay. <laughs> so, I know. No, that's what I wanted. <laughs> that's great. So you can thank your group. Hmm. We just have a few minutes left, and I wanted to give space for any questions, and also if there's anything that came up in your group that you'd like to share to the larger group. And do you pass around a mic? Oh, you've got it. Okay, that's great. So, yeah, please speak into the mic. Thank you for that talk. Um, I, it, there was something that just caught my attention in what you shared this morning that I wondered if you had any, any ideas as to why they do the one quarter pervading. Then, it, Do you have any sense of what, you know, how that's felt in your own practice how it how it why why do they do it or why how it's well felt? yeah but maybe a little bit of whichever one you know uh if one inspires you <laughs> sure yeah why do they do that oh so the question was i read that quote from the diga nikaya um where the buddha is instructing the, the monks to uh open their hearts in mudita for one quarter of the world and then the next quarter and then the next and then the next. And this is really speaking to the capacity for our heart to open to all beings everywhere equally. I I believe that that is the intention. And I believe that um, when practicing this these practices of the Brahma Viharas, which, by the way, in this particular sutta, he goes through each Brahma Vihara saying t- that this is the possibility to practice in the way, this way of opening the heart with each Brahma Vihara equally to all beings everywhere. Uh, and that this is just pointing to the full capacity of our hearts and minds. He's really pointing to the full capacity. It doesn't mean that that's where we all start. (laughs) And so if that idea is overwhelming in some way, not that that's what you were voicing, but it could very easily be overwhelming to think, how how could I possibly open my heart to all beings everywhere equally? Um, It doesn't mean that's where we start. He's kind of pointing at the what the the heart is able to do, um, which is meant to be inspiring. 
And so I think in my own practice, when I've practiced the Brahma Viharas and get to all beings, at that point, I've gone through each category and struggle with each one, and then there's an opening, and then there might be a closing, and then an opening again. And by the time we get to all beings, there can often be this sense of fullness and openness, this capacity of the heart to hold all beings everywhere. For myself, there's a lot of spaciousness in that practice of opening the heart towards all beings. But that, I do think that takes practice and will be felt in different ways at different times. Thanks, that's yeah. helpful. Great. Okay. Um, in my group, we were um, discussing um, like uh, a number of things, but uh, I remember the old saying that um, a joy shared is twice the joy, and a sorrow shared is half the sorrow. And uh, was thinking of um, Pablo Casal's book, Joys and Sorrows, the great cellist. I don't know if you, any of you have read it. It was wonderful, and I really loved the title there. Another thing I, that came to mind, too, is that uh, Prozac, the Prozac group of antidepressants, is in the top ten prescription drugs in the country. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of flattens a person's emotions out and how sad it is those people they don't feel depressed per se anymore if the drug is working for them but they don't feel joy either it's just Mm. this kind of nether world of no emotions or dampened emotions at all times yeah yeah thanks for that reflection yes Uh, so i really like the subject what kind of came to mind to me was that it's much easier for me to feel joy for somebody else when it doesn't affect my myself. Um, so, like, for instance, I just had one friend who like, celebrated a year of great health. Mm-hmm. And, like, the the joy and, like, the feeling I had from him, like, it literally felt like my heart was going towards him as mm-hmm. I was listening to him. And I think it's because him having great health doesn't affect me having health or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, like, the whole concept of, like, feeling like there's scarcity. So I was wondering, you know, how you deal with a situation where it feels like there's not enough for everyone, but there probably is. Yes. Yeah. I would, what I do is I question that belief. And I actually not uh, pretty recently came into an experience where someone came into great success and there was a feeling for me of it was kind of threatening um, what if they're successful in this and I'm not, what does that mean about me kind of thing? So oftentimes when I see that in my mind, I question it. Is this really true? Is this really true? And sometimes my immediate response will be, yeah, of course that's true. <laughs> but then I keep asking the question. Anytime I feel a contraction, I know that there's, there's dukkha there. This is the experience of dukkha. So what is it that I'm perceiving right now? And, and do, is it really true? So I, I don't know if that answers your question fully, but that might be a starting place. Yeah. Okay. Hi, if you don't mind. I was wondering if you would just talk, talk for a moment um, about the distinction between metta and mudita. Sure. It sounds like the, um, the practice on the cushion of, of sitting there and wishing wishing well to people and cultivating that um, is very similar. Yes. Um, So metta, uh, may you be happy, may you be healthy, 
Um, may you be at ease. It's this wishing of friendliness towards all beings. And that you go through, this, through the different groups as well, um, including yourself, actually, in those categories with metta. And that general friendliness is, isn't so much about the deep suffering or the great happinesses that are happening in those people's lives or even in your own life. It's just kind of this general happiness or friendliness that we cultivate in ourselves. Where mudita is very much uh, looking at or bringing attention to the happiness of others and what does our heart do in response to that. Where And then the flip side of that being the compassion practice really bringing attention to the suffering of others and what does our heart do in response to that. So um, that's the, those are the differences. And they feel different. That friendliness and that kindness, that feeling in the body and in the heart has a different flavor than, than the feeling of joy and that, shared, that sharing in abundance with another person. So they do actually feel quite different. Thank you. You're welcome. So I should end there. We're a bit over time. So thank you very much for your attention. And uh, we'll just dedicate the merit here. This is the tradition. So taking a moment to acknowledge our time together and the wholesomeness of spending our time in this way, cultivating in the practice, listening to the Dharma, And acknowledging that our practice and our cultivation is not just for us, but for all beings everywhere. And so, with our open hearts, we wish that all beings everywhere be happy and content. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings open their hearts to each other's happiness and successes and feel the full capacity of their hearts and minds. Thank you.